Well, as we are starting to come out of the darkness of this past year and life begins to return to a new normal, I wanna share with you the day I realized that this pandemic was legit. I think everyone has a moment where they realize that this thing was not going away, that it was a real thing that we were gonna have to live in. It's like a moment they realized things were going from being okay in the world to not being okay. Well, my husband, God bless him, had been watching the news closely with regard to the coronavirus. And one day out of the blue, he just calls me at work and he said, drop what you're doing, go to Costco and stock up on whatever you can find. And I thought, oh my gosh, he's just being overly cautious because that's the kind of person he is and I love him for it. But usually he's not wrong about things like this. So I told Chris I was leaving for a bit and I went to Costco. Well, when I got there, there was a line that went out of the front door and it started to wrap around the building. And I thought that can't possibly be the line to get in because I saw people going into the store, so I didn't pay any attention to it. Well, I got a cart and I started shopping, but I have to tell you, it was so eerie. It was so quiet in Costco. It's not usually quiet in there, but it was so quiet. Everyone was so focused as they made their way through the store. And all of the carts had the same things in them. There were toilet paper, paper towels, rice, Clorox wipes, and gloves. Every single cart. But it still wasn't regis registering to me what was happening. And so I just went about my business. Well, I needed to get some canned goods, so I cut through this massive line, the one that went out the front and around the building, because I had to get to the canned food aisle. But as I did, a woman stood in front of me and she said, you can't cut this line. This, this is the line for toilet paper and we've all been waiting. And I am not kidding you, she physically stood in front of me and she blocked me from moving. And as she said that, the people around her kind of flanked her on both sides as if to say, you are not getting through us. And in one single moment, I realized that things were going from being okay to not being okay. Listen, when you are accosted in the toilet paper line at Costco for presumed line cutting, you know that everything is about to change. Well, I explained to her nicely that I wasn't cutting in line, I was cutting through the line and that seemed to appease her. So I raced through the store, I got my stuff and then I got in line. Now, the line for toilet paper went from the back of the store all the way to the front and all the way out the door and around the building. The line to check, to check out, it went from the front all the way to the back and I was about three fourths of the way back. I couldn't believe it. I was so far back that I took a picture of it and here it is. You can see that I am so far back. Okay, well as I'm waiting in this line, I get a phone call from Chris Coley and of course I answer it, because he's my boss. And I was gonna be in this line for a while anyway, I might as well get some work done. And so I answer it and Chris says, hey Jody, are you still at Costco right now? And I'm like, yeah, I'm still stuck in this line. And I say, of course I am, I'm here. And he says, I was wondering if you could get us some soap. Now I have to tell you, as I looked around, that request landed like a lead balloon. And I thought, you have no idea what it is like here. And then I almost got tears in my eyes and I thought, people are so mean. How can you even ask that? 
But this is Chris and Andrea we're talking about, and I would do anything for them. They're my friends, and I'm a two on the Enneagram, which means I'm a helper, and it's impossible for me to say no when someone asks for help. So I say, sure, no problem, and I hung up. Well, I'm not kidding. The minute I hung up, it was like I heard the chariots of fire music in my head, and I looked around, and I thought, challenge accepted. I can do this. But I knew if I was going to actually get out of line and leave my car in line that I had to be fast. It was a huge risk I was about to take. So I took it. I took off throughout the store. I ran like the freaking wind. Every person that looked at me, every person I accidentally ran into, I was like, sorry, just doing this for a friend. Excuse me, pardon me. Just got to grab something for a friend. And I am telling you, Crosswinds, that is true friendship. So um, I got the soap. Um, my cart was still there when I got back, and I waited in line, and I checked out. But I am telling you, that was the day, and those were the moments I realized we were going from being okay in our world to not being okay. And I am telling you, after that, the hits just kept on coming. One minute my kids were going to school, the next I was a homeschool teacher. One minute I was coming to work, the next I was learning how to use Zoom. One minute we can hug and embrace each other and the next minute we can't touch one another or even see people outside of our family. Well, this pattern of ups and downs or this pattern of being okay one minute and not okay the next was really the status quo of the last year, wouldn't you say that? And the ups and downs didn't just have to do with pandemic life. Regular life was also playing on top of that. It's like there were two levels of things happening at the same time. There was the pandemic ups and downs, and then things that happen in real life, those ups and downs were laid on top of that. And being a pastor, we got to see and hear about both levels of things playing out at the same time. For some of you, one minute everything was fine. The next minute, the phone call came that devastated your world. One minute, your marriage was in the honeymoon stage. The next minute, it was falling apart. One minute, you were planning a wedding. The next, you were canceling it. One minute, you were killing it at your job. And the next, you were losing it, right? Well, over this past year, this rhythm of I'm okay, I'm not okay has been so amplified with everything that's been going on. But the truth is, this rhythm of I'm okay, I'm not okay, it's, it's a fact of life. This ebb and flow of things being fine one minute and not fine the next, it is always gonna happen. It is never going away. It is here to stay. And the interesting thing about this, I think, is that in the middle of whatever I'm not okay moment that you're facing, whatever crisis or suffering or darkness that is happening, as Christ followers, we are forced to factor God into it, right? I mean, for people who don't believe in God, they accept crisis as maybe karma, or maybe it's just the universe acting out. But as people who follow Jesus, immediately when crisis hits or, or suffering strikes, we have to ask, where is God in the middle of this? And I think that's when things get a little messy for us. Because as human beings, we have a need to make sense of things, don't we? In order to deal with crisis and suffering, 
I think we create strategies for ourselves that help us make sense of the suffering that we are in. It helps us deal with crisis so we can get back to being okay again. Well, out of all of my years of being a pastor, I think there are a few things that we do to help ourselves deal with crisis. Some of us start asking questions like, God, why me? Or God, why did you allow this? And a whole handful of other questions like this. We ask questions, I think, because if we can understand why a crisis is happening, we might not like it, but at least we can deal with it. Um, just let me know that there is a reason for it so I can understand it, and then I will learn to be okay with it. It's a very common strategy. Another strategy I think we use when crisis hits is we create a plan for working our way out of it. Um, I will never forget a celebration of life service that I attended um, as a pastor for a 14-year-old girl who passed away from cancer. And I remember the mom went up to one of our other pastors who was there, and she said, I can't figure out what God is trying to teach me through this. Maybe he wants me to start reading my Bible more. Maybe I should start doing that, and some of the pain will go away. And I couldn't believe what I was hearing. I thought to myself, oh my gosh, do you think God did this to your daughter just to get you to read your Bible more and pray? But I don't think she really believed that. I think what she was doing was creating a strategy for herself, something she could put her time and attention toward that would make her feel better and maybe even entice God to make the pain go away. It's a strategy we use. And finally, um, when some of us are in crisis, we get so discouraged and feel so hurt by God that we turn our backs on him. And while some people might do that for a season, some people walk away and they never come back. What I do know is that right now, you might be going through your own personal crisis. Your world might seem very dark right now. And chances are, you're doing one of those three things. And let me be the first to tell you that that is okay. You know why? Because we are never given an alternative. We're never taught to do anything different or do anything else. And we are rarely given a better way to handle our I'm not okay moments. And so we try and figure it out on our own. But here's the thing I want you to know. None of these strategies work when it comes to dealing with crisis and being okay. Asking questions doesn't usually provide answers. The plans we put in place might help for a while, but eventually they will leave you exhausted and the crisis might still be there even after all that work. And rejecting God, while I totally understand why people do that, it might not be a wise long-term solution to crisis management. And while these strategies might help you move back into being okay for a season, they do so at a very high cost. The thing that it costs you is a very special hidden blessing that God can only give you in the darkness. You see, God does something in our lives that only he can do in the darkness but we have to know how to approach it. And that's what I wanna show you today. 
You know, we've been in uh, this series called Light at the End of the Tunnel, and each week we have, we've been learning some different lessons that God can only teach us in the dark seasons of our lives, lessons that you can really only see and learn in hindsight. And so today I want to show you one of the only strategies I know that will truly benefit you and help you navigate your I'm not okay moments. And it really is the only strategy that will help you be okay again. And it will happen for you if you can just allow yourself to do this one thing, okay? Well, um, I want to look at a passage today. Uh, we're going to look at Matthew chapter 26, and, and this should be really familiar to us, um, having just come out of Easter. But this scene takes place right after Jesus has just had the Last Supper with his disciples, and he had just told them that his execution is looming on the horizon. And this is what happens. Matthew chapter 26, starting verse 36. It says, Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to them, Sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. And then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and he prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he returned to his disciples and he found them sleeping. Why couldn't you keep watch with me for an hour, he asked. Jumping to verse 42. and says he went away a second time and he prayed. My father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. And when he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. So he left them and he went away once more and he prayed the third time saying the same thing. Okay, let's hit the pause button right now on that passage for just a minute. And let me introduce you to two words that are really important for what we're going to look at in this passage, okay? I want to give you two terms that I'm going to use to describe the I'm okay, I'm not okay cycle of life that we have been talking about. And the two terms are consolation and desolation. Everyone say consolation. Wherever you are right now, say consolation. Perfect. Okay. Now everyone say desolation. Wonderful. Okay. These two terms come out of something called Ignatian spirituality. Um, St. Ignatius uh, is a guy who lived in the 1500s, and he was a Spanish priest and theologian. He actually founded the Jesuit order, if you've heard of that. But he is one of the first people to use these two terms, consolation and desolation, to describe how we experience life. Okay, consolation would be any season in life that is, it's comfortable, right? When life is easy, it's relaxed, that's a season of consolation. Okay, I want you to stop right now and think of something that brings you comfort. Like, you're having a bad day, you get home, what do you turn to for comfort? Take a second and tell the person that you are with, anyone next to you, the thing that brings you comfort. Okay. All right. Lots of good things. Um, for me, I like to wrap up in a warm blanket. So for me, when I'm in a season of consolation, it's like life has just wrapped me in a warm blanket and said, have a good day, Jody. Well, desolation 
is just the opposite of that. It's when the warm blanket is ripped from your body and you are left empty, you're left in anguish, misery, you experience loss and loneliness. Well, St. Ignatius said that all of life is an ebb and flow in and out of consolation and desolation. It's just a reality of life. And the ebb and flow of consolation and desolation is nowhere more evident than in this passage. Can we all agree as Christ followers that the most desolate moment in all of history is most likely these moments right here in this passage? I mean, you wanna talk about desolation? In this moment, Jesus has to decide, am I gonna go through with the cross or not? Am I going to allow myself to be tortured for the sake of the world or not? The future of humanity rests on his shoulders and he has to decide, do I or don't I? And we are told that the weight of this decision is so intense for him that it is crushing his body to the point that his sweat became drops of blood falling to the ground. I am telling you, this is complete and total desolation. This was total darkness. And as he sits in this darkness, Jesus has a few options, doesn't he? He can use one of those strategies that we talked about earlier. He can question, he can create a strategy, or he can run away to try and get back to consolation. He can use one of the three. Well, you will never see Jesus more human than in this passage. It is one of the most vulnerable and tender times that we see him in the scriptures. This is probably where we can identify with him the most. We see him in his humanity, and he's terrified. And the question for him as he sits in his own personal darkness becomes, what is he going to do? You know, um, if I'm being honest with myself and with you, I think the real reason I'm so terrified of the dark and desolate times in my life, the real reason I sometimes work so hard to get back to consolation and being okay, is because I have a terrible fear that the darkness will never end. The reason it is so hard to be in crisis is because we get freaked out that the darkness will be our new reality. I remember like it was yesterday after I had both of my boys, I experienced really, really bad postpartum anxiety. And um, every day when I woke up, I thought to myself, I am never gonna be okay again. I am never gonna feel normal again. This is my new life. Not being okay is my new normal. And I was so afraid that the darkness was never gonna go away and that it was gonna become my new norm. And I'm telling you, don't you find that to be true? Like when you get sick, you feel like you're never gonna be well again. When you lose your job, you feel like you're never gonna get another one. Or when you break up with someone, you feel like you're never gonna fall in love again. We get afraid that the darkness will become our status quo. And so we begin to use one of the strategies we looked at earlier to begin to feel okay again. Well, I wanna show you the strategy that Jesus himself uses in this desolation. He doesn't question, he doesn't create a plan, and he doesn't run. Instead, what he does is he embraces the rhythm. 
He embraces the rhythm of consolation and desolation while he is in the garden. And let me show you exactly what I mean by this. Look really quickly back at the passage. It says, when Jesus entered the the garden, verse 39, it says, He fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Down in verse 42, it says, He went away a second time and prayed, My father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. When he came back, he again found the disciples sleeping because their eyes were heavy. So he left them and he went away once more and prayed the third time, saying the same thing. And I hope you see what is happening here. Jesus went back and forth, in and out of his own personal darkness, three different times. In and out of consolation and desolation, three different times. He ebbed and he flowed through these two things, ebbing and flowing through the desolation until consolation came. He embraced the rhythm. The minute he started to not feel okay, he went right back to praying. And then when he felt okay again, he went back to his disciples. And when he didn't feel okay again, he went back to praying. And he did this three times until finally something changed. You see, once he embraced the rhythm and he ebbed and flowed through it three times, God gave him a resolve, a courage, and a strength that was absolutely unstoppable, and it led him straight to the cross for our benefit. And here's what I want you to see today. The hidden blessing of embracing the rhythm of consolation and desolation is resolve. The blessing is resolve. It's strength and fortitude like you have never experienced before in a season of crisis. It's, um, it's determination, even in the midst of impossible odds. It's, it's the thing that wells up in you to push through even when you feel like crumbling. That is resolve. That is resolve. Well, um, you know, right now, all across uh, the heartland of America on every farm, there is a process going on called spring burning. Um, I actually learned about this watching Nat Geo a few weeks ago. Well, actually, I learned it watching the Pioneer Woman on Food Network because the Pioneer Woman, Reed Drummond, she lives on a cattle ranch in Oklahoma, and her husband, Lad, is a cattle rancher. Um, and a few weeks ago, I watched an episode called Spring Burning, where Lad their two boys and their two daughters were out on their huge cattle farm setting fire to it while she was in the kitchen cooking up a meal that was appropriate for spring burning, okay? Well, she goes on to explain that each spring, farmers do these controlled burns. They're actually called prescribed burns to put nutrients back into the soil and revitalize the land. Well, here's how it works. As the fire breaks down the plant matter, um, it releases those nutrients back into the soil so that it can help promote um, future plant growth, right? So burning is like a natural fertilizer for pasture land. And it works exactly the same way with something like a forest fire. Nutrients from dead trees are returned to the soil and it makes the soil stronger and fortified. And so fire, also acts as a natural disinfectant, burning up diseased plants, removing them from the the plant population. So it's all good all around, okay? All this to say, what every farmer and every ecologist knows 
is that if you want healthy land, there's got to be fire. There has to be an ebb and flow of healthy land and charred land. In other words, there has to be rhythm. The rhythm is what makes the soil strong. It's what fortifies it and gives it the resolve it needs to sustain plant life, okay? Make sense? All right. Well, just to satisfy your curiosity, what kind of meal does one make for spring burning? Reed Drummond made a chicken slider bar, potato bundles, corn served with bell pepper butter, and blackberry pot pies with vanilla bean ice cream. That's the kind of meal you make for spring burning in case you were curious. But the important thing to see is that even in nature, even in nature, there is a natural recognizing that rhythms are necessary and that they are to be embraced because embracing the rhythm is the only strategy that makes the soil strong again. It's the only thing that makes it okay again. It's the only thing that gives it resolve. And the same can be said of you and me, we are no different. We are in week three of this series. And so far, we've encouraged you to embrace your darkness and recognize that God has something for you in it. That was the first week. Last week, Chris encouraged you to wrestle in the darkness because it makes you strong. But today, I want to give you a deeper truth. And I mean, this is like a, a 201 301 level spirituality kind of truth I'm talking about here. But the deeper truth I want you to grasp is that darkness is not just a long season of pain, like a COVID season has been this past year. What you need to know is that your entire life, your job, your home life, your relationships, um, your life is made up of rhythms of darkness and light, rhythms of consolation, and desolation. And if you can learn to embrace that rhythm for your life and accept it as a reality, God can bring you to a place of resolve and strength and courage, just like he did for Jesus. Because maybe there is something God needs you to do out of that season that you're in. And maybe there are changes you need to make in order to be the person he has called you to be. But know that the rhythm itself, it does something in you. And I personal, personally believe, as you start to embrace it more regularly, that God will build in you some kind of resolve. And don't you want to know what that is? Don't you want to know what he is strengthening you to do and who he is fortifying you to be? You see, there is a resolve right now that he's giving you from one of the current rhythms you are in. For some of you, your marriage has been put to the test this past year, and you are coming out of this COVID season, and you are resolved to work on your marriage because you've learned a few things that need to change. Some of you, after embracing the season of isolation, are resolved to spend more time with friends and family. Personally, since um, learning about this rhythm of consolation and desolation, I have tried to embrace much of the darkness of this past year. The shutdowns, the homeschooling, the lack of social interaction. And what I've realized is that in the stillness and time at home, I realized I was way too busy before, which means I was uh, much more uptight and stressed out than I needed to, more stressed out than I needed to be. And through embracing the rhythm 
I am resolved that I want to keep a more quiet, slower pace of life. I am resolved in a way that I have never been before to be less busy and stay there. Well, there are so many possibilities of what God might be doing for you. And I don't know where the darkness is for you right now, but let me tell you, there is a resolve for you in it. Your job is to embrace the rhythm just as Jesus did and let God show you what it is. So I want to challenge you uh, this week to find maybe 20 or 30 minutes if you can and think about where the rhythms are in your life right now. Where are the rhythms in your family or your job or a significant relationship you have? Look at those rhythms. Maybe you want to think about this one huge rhythm of desolation, COVID, that we are coming out of right now. Or maybe you want to take stock of the last five years and look at the rhythms of your life. But I want you to look at them and then ask God, what resolve do you want me to have as I embrace the consolation and desolation in my life? How do you need to strengthen me to be the person that you have called me to be? And once you ask that, then you can let God go to work.